The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawkbox. Here are your headlines today. Gap shares saw 17% in extended trade as sales at its old Navy division lifts spirits ahead of the holiday shopping season. But a cautious outlook at Walmart sends shares 8% lower. The Dow breaks a four-day winning streak while crude prices slump to a four-month low, putting pressure on OPEC Plus ahead of a meeting in Vienna at the end of the month. Not convinced the Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester holding the line, ignoring calls for an early rate cut, telling CNBC the battle against higher prices isn't over yet. You know, continuing sort of the view that we're making progress on inflation, discernible progress. We need to see more of that continuing um, to be able to assess, you know, that whether inflation is still going to progress as we hope it will. Um, but it was a positive report. Alibaba scrapping plans to spin off its cloud business. Well, that sent the shares down 10% uh, easier in Hong Kong, wiping $20 billion off the Ch- uh, Chinese tech giant's market valuation. To Spain then, where protesters take to the streets of Spain, rallying against a controversial amnesty deal as Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez secures a second term four months after an inconclusive snap election. To the 179 deputies who have committed their vote and who represent nothing less than 12,600,000 citizens of our nation and who chose on the 23rd of July to continue advancing rather than regress to all of you, thank you. Happy Friday. So you thought you'd turn up for one day this week? <laughs> no, no, have you not heard? It's the new model. It's called the one day week. You know, I, was, well, I know. Well, thank you, Arabella. Yeah, I was just working out what, what's what, you know, I'm getting older now. Where maybe there's a model with drop a Monday or something. Yeah. Or I, I just think the one day week is, is absolutely perfect. Is it working for yeah, you? It's working really well for me. Yeah. How's it working for you guys? <laughs> People usually do a four day week, Steve, oh, not a one shush, day week. Shush, shush. Um, you gotta, no, it's good to be back. I'm, I'm actually quite disconcerted. Because while yeah. I've been off, the market's got all excited again. It's uh, and I, and and I really, really feel that my dose of curmudgeonly-like behaviour and me bringing everyone down again from their ebullient mood. I think it's really important I come back and actually make everyone feel quite miserable about some of the prospects out well, there. You can take those bear spirits back to the cave because oh, the market's oh, got a different message at this point. Really? That Has inflation's it? falling. We're in a yeah. disinflation yeah, so environment. That's so you've right, got to buy stocks. it's only double the level they've targeted over at the Fed now. So we get rate cuts, yeah? The core inflation's still being forced. Of course, how can we not have rates uh, being cut aggressively in early 2024 with the level double what it should be? Why, why, why wouldn't we cut rates? Uh, the rate expectations now, they're coming through thick and fast, aren't they? Is this they? from the, the, the expectations from those people who have been doing the CME Fed Funds rate watch for the last couple of years yeah, and got it unambiguously basically. wrong for about the last four years? And the wide range. I mean, I was commenting <laughs> earlier in the week, you had some saying we're going to get it cut in March. 
Uh, others are telling up are. 275 basis points. And then you've got Goldman saying, we'll get to the final quarter and then you might get one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's just the same Goldman Sachs that still thinks there's going to be an $80 floor uh, on, on, on Brent crude, which is now <laughs> trading 77. Is this the same market that's ignored the fact that the most aggressive quantitative tightening in history needs to happen in order to wean us off central bank largesse as well? Is this the same market that actually thinks China's bottoming out? We've just had the worst house prices again. There are so many red flags out, or certainly amber flags. Uh, and this is my point. I, I think, great, the, the inflation was lower, and I'm really pleased for everyone, you know, blah, 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 it's very exciting. But the fact of the matter is, we've still got the cumulative and lagged effects. We've still got a QT problem. We've still got a China problem. We've still got a debt problem. I haven't even raised that yet. I have my, my data dump from the IIF, and I'll bring that up later on as well. We've still got massive, do you know we've got about $60 trillion worth more debt than we had in 2018? Yeah, but the problem is if you're in the bear camp, you've got a, a big fluffy claw over your eyes because it's been a huge market rally that we've seen. So mm. having the bear case again has meant that you've missed out on a huge yeah. portfolio you're, you're wins right. so far and for the year. It's been difficult for them as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Uh, one other piece of the puzzle, though, is this retail story we're about to get into because what we're hearing yeah. is that consumer behaviours right. have subtly changed and that's what central banks hadn't but, been seeing. But who seeing. do you believe? Do you believe Gap or do you believe the CEO of the biggest retailer on the planet? I think it's in a tonne of different data points now the where the consumer is starting to change yeah. and we'll just get into some yeah, of the data a gap is up more than 17 percent in extended trade despite tempering its sales outlook for the fourth quarter after posting earnings per share of 59 cents more than three times the result forecast by analysts revenue came in at 3.8 billion dollars for the quarter that is a seven percent decline for the year but still above expectations meanwhile walmart plunged more than eight percent after warning it expects weaker consumer spending in the holiday season as shoppers focus on essentials amid tighter market conditions. However, the world's largest retailer did beat on earnings and revenue, which came in at just over $160 billion. Arubile and I were talking about this uh, during the course of the week. We had Burberry the high end <laughs> when you were here. Well, well, because there was no one else here. When you were here, we were talking about Burberry seeing a big decline in the American market. So sure. right at the top in luxury market, we were seeing it in Home Depot in terms of those behaviours. Now, Walmart, uh, Arubile, they were talking about uneven patterns taking place too in the business. Yeah, so this is actually what we've been also discussing just yesterday, right? Is that divergence of the consumer trying to find the best bargain for themselves. Either they're waiting for the right season or waiting particularly for certain holidays to come through in order to make those purchases. That certainly was the notion. Even from Gap yesterday, it came out with their earnings. It certainly has been this roller coaster week then for the U.S. retail space as investors have grappled with the implications of what is soft inflation data that has come out this week versus what is stronger than expected retail sales, while the data has, of course, offered a mixed picture. But some themes have emerged from retail earnings reports this week. Target is the main winner for the week. It added around $9 billion to its market cap, and that's despite a drop-off in third-quarter sales after what was a massive, massive beat on its earnings per share. On the other side, you had Walmart uh, doing the opposite, posting sales above forecast, but failing to impress investors with a one cent EPS beat. So you can see there the movements then that you've seen in Target. Macy's also having come out with their earnings double digit uptick in that share price. Now speaking to CNBC before the earnings call, Walmart CFO John Rainey said he's now, quote, a little more cautious on the consumer amid evidence that they're buying only what they need. For instance, warm clothes for now in November. 
That, of course, echoes what we heard earlier in the week from Target as well as Home Depot, where discretionary sales have taken a hit. Target CEO Brian Cornell uh, told investors on the call that pressures like higher rates, for example, have increased credit card debt and the resumption of student loan payments are spurring consumers to delay their spending until the very last moment. In fact, Home Depot CFO Richard McPhail highlighted customers deferring those larger DIY projects. A lot of those, of course, we saw particularly during the pandemic. But Macy's then spiked more than 12% uh, in yesterday's trade before pulling back some of those gains, closing out 5.7% higher. And that's after posting a merchandise margin jump of more than one percentage point, suggesting investors aren't treating that increased consumer discretion as the be-all and end-all. Stick around, though, because we'll bring you the latest retail figures from this side of the pond in just under an hour's time. That's UK retail data. It's coming up at 8 CET. Uh, thank you very much indeed for that, Arabile. Let's get some other data. The US initial jobless claims rose to a three-month high, actually, last week. Uh, coming in at 231,000, the latest sign that the Federal Reserve's series of rate hikes is gradually loosening up the American labour market. Continuing claims, meanwhile, came in at 1.86 million, continuing their steady increase since mid-September and reaching their highest level in two years. Well, the Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester has told CNBC October's flat CPI print isn't enough to convince her just yet that inflation has been successfully stamped out, insisting she wants to see more of that kind of progress uh, that's been achieved so far this year. Mester told CNBC that the Fed will need to assess an array of data before it fully rules out any subsequent hikes. It's been a pretty strong, resilient economy and a very, you know, in terms of growth and in terms of the labor market, and yet we have seen inflation move down, back down in a, in a you know, a discernible way. And so I think it would be very hard to put triggers and that kind of precision on one or two data points. I think what we're going to be doing is assessing all the data as it comes in. It was a mixed session yesterday, stateside, despite some of those messages from the Fed and the way market participants have been running with the data. We saw green again attached to the S&P and the Nasdaq, big moving parts of the market. Don't forget, Microsoft has been again showing market leadership with this rally. It was a top moving stock for the major boards from the Dow right across to the Nasdaq. But in session, a couple of flops on the earnings. Walmart, as we mentioned, moving aggressively south. Also reaction to Cisco. Those were the two undercurrents for the Dow and the Nasdaq to the downside. In terms of various different sectors, we saw seven out of 11 sectors trading positive. The communication services basket, the strongest, which was again the driver for the Nasdaq. In terms of the US markets over the course of the week, it's been again, as you take a look at the, the weekly performance, almost 2% on the Dow, a little bit more on the S&P, and uh, the uh, best improver has been the Nasdaq, claiming 2.3% at this stage. A look at the Treasury markets. That reset around the yield, thanks to disinflationary forces, very much driving the yield story. In fact, we've seen a drop of about 21 basis points at the short end on that two years. So we've dropped to 4.84 at this stage, roughly about 22 basis points now. So 4.45 on that 10-year, also dropping uh, double-digit, uh, roughly about 18 odd basis points over the session. So the market seeing those moves lower on the yield has given them plenty of cover 
on the equity side and the data very much playing into the equation from CPI to retail numbers to what we're hearing on the earnings side of those subtle shifting behaviours that uh, central banks want to see. The dollar as a result of the lower yields has also marked south and you can see some of the softness that's crept in some of the pairs and crosses. Uh, the dollar trade this morning, uh, euro dollar for instance, 108.5 is the level now. At the start of the month we we're trading roughly around the 106 level so we've certainly picked up some steam and again morning session we're 124.13 on sterling dollar. As for the Japanese yen, uh, thanks to the uh, softness now creeping in to the Greenback trade, we're around the 150 and a half level. Uh, the market's seeing a lot of action too on the energy side. So let's just take a look at what we had on Brent and WTI. Uh, moves about 5% yesterday, four month lows where we've traveled to. There is a view there was a lot of technical selling in the market yesterday, particularly as we dropped through that 80 level. Uh, much, much of the uh, selling taking place in just one hour trade, hence uh, the view that it was a lot of speculators moving the market. 77.45, 72.98, supply issues, demand issues, the market's weighing the balance up. To the Asian markets, what we've got across the session, it's a downbeat session for Hong Kong, dropping 2%. Alibaba, a big story in the equation, scrapping the uh, plans to, to split off parts of the business in particular cloud because of some of those trade tensions that's been restricting supply that's a big story for the region you can see uh, one of the patches of green picking up again on that u.s action has been japanese stocks bouncing about half of a percent steve we are just chatting well, let's just bring the the audience in because mike gallo and i have already started <laughs> uh, director of research at continuing economics lovely to see you, mike thank you for joining us look um why don't i go back to my original premise that i was ranting about at the start of the show is like there are so many factors out there that really concern the bears. And, and, and they always sound compelling, the bears. They always have this amazing, catastrophic, apocalyptic scenario where, yeah, I kind of get it sometimes. But, but you made a really good point to me, and you said, actually, it's about timing. Yes, the bear case has some solid foundations, potentially. I, I'm extrapolating from what you said. But actually, it's about timing the, 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 these market moves as well. So just explain to us a little bit more what you mean. So it's a question of, um, you know, on debt, when it's really going to bite in the US. And to be honest, it's probably not going to bite until we get past the US presidential election and we're in early 2025 and we're trying to raise the debt ceiling again and it's a real mess in Congress. Then I think the market will, will pick up and pay more attention to the US debt profile, which isn't good and neither is the deficit. But next year, the timing is all about rate cuts. When we get rate cuts, how much are we going to get in terms of rate cuts? So that's more the market driver for next year. Uh, and it's um, going to be the debt and deficit question for 2025. And that is always the most difficult thing for any of our viewers, whether they are long-term holders, five to ten-year holders of an equity store or whatever, or they are short-term day traders. Your timing is everything. Your, your um, rationale can be perfect, but it's about your timing as well. So we've given what you just said. Is the market on for a sustained end-of-year bull run and, and then beyond that into the presidential election year? Or actually, is there something else you think on the horizon that need, people need to worry about? So I think we need to take a step back. The okay. thing that's driving the market at the moment is what's happening in terms of 10-year yields. We've come down quite a lot. Um, so the market's gone from pessimism about um, rates remaining high for long to now sort of discounting four Fed cuts by the end of 2024. Um, you now actually need the Fed to start signalling that they're going to ease, which I don't think is going to occur. Um, or you need the economic data to actually not just deteriorate, but actually maybe suggest a recessionary story which would pull the Fed 
to ease earlier. But that's a double-edged story for uh, equities if you get a recession. We don't think it's going to be that. We think we're going to slow down. We think the Fed are going to sort of um, kind of keep a steady mood. And then once we get into the spring, start to signal rate cuts by the, uh, the summer. So what that means for uh, US equities is a tricky period now because the easy bounce and gains have been made. And now we've got to navigate all of that um, for the next couple of months. We will get a rally. We think 4,800 by the end of 2024. Um, but it's probably going to come more the spring, summer um, of 2024. And the next couple of months are going to be difficult and tricky. So you may Mike, get yeah. a long-term buying opportunity. Well, this is going to be fun, isn't it? We've had a re-rating because of monetary policy. And we're not going to get the signals from the central bank because they're concerned about a reigniting of inflation story. This is going to be fun for the markets because the earnings are simply not supporting the re-rating story at this stage, right? Well, the, the earnings, if anything, are deteriorating a little bit. And the market's a bit too optimistic about 2024 earnings in the, uh, the US. So that's the other headwind that I think that you got at the moment so it's going to be really tricky after you know the last couple of weeks of re-ratings i think it's going to be sort of uh, difficult for the market to make the u.s equity market to make much further progress so if we've got a bumpy trade now for a number of months where do you want to position if you want to play it safe but you still want some risk on the table because we could get this turn on the interest rate cycle where do you want to be positioned i, I think you probably want to wait for a pullback inevitably there will be a pullback at some stage over the next couple of months. And so don't chase this now. Don't chase this now. We'll wait for the pullback. You know, you could go back to 4,200, 4,300 on the S&P 500. Um, that's the broader picture. You're not necessarily going to see dramatic outperformance in terms of any other um, equity markets, major equity markets, because they're dependent on their own rate story. Europe, UK, Japan, we, we, it's a tightening story. So in terms of other big developed equity markets, it's really sort of a similar sort of a picture over the next uh, couple of months, except that you're probably going to get rate cuts in Europe before you're going to get them in the US. What's the strategy around the bond market? Is that a market you actually do chase? Because what we're going to see is going to be a declining yield story from here, bolstering the returns on some of the bonds. So the problem is that you now need the Fed to get closer to cutting interest rates or a central bank to get closer to cutting interest rates, given that the yield curve is inverted, so that um, short dated bonds are higher yield. So it's, um, it's difficult to chase it uh, from, from here. Um, just tell me a little bit about the QT story. I, I still believe, even though it's in, in clear sight, the market's completely ignoring it and is obsessed by the rates as well. Um, great piece again in the FT. Shout out to the Financial Times about the um, central bank's trillion dollar problem. It's something this show's been talking a lot about. You've obviously been doing some thinking about it as well. Why isn't QT a problem for governments going forward and for bondholders? Well, it is a problem. Um, so uh, I think it's kind of quite um, clear that um, one of the reasons that we've got elevated yields is because of quantitative tightening. Um, the other problem is that um, if you listen to uh, the banks, they're sort of saying, well, quantitative tightening is restricting our liquidity, which is restricting our lending in the US in the, in, and in Europe. Um, so it is a problem. It is biting. And next year, um, we're probably going to get um, the ECB deciding to delay sort of quantitative tightening for its uh, PEP uh, program. It's supposed to start in at the beginning of 25. Yeah. I think it's going to delay that. And you could actually see the Bank of England 
slowing down its QT program as yeah, we get into rate cuts. Sales as well, the BOE. Yeah, so they, they could they could easily slow it. So it is a story to uh, to watch, but I think it kind of comes along with, okay. all right, we're going to do rate cuts. Should we be doing this pace of quantitative tightening? That's going to be the question I think central banks are asking themselves. And if you you haven't been paying attention to it, pay attention. Great piece on the FT today. Central banks a trillion dollar problem. I'll just tell you why very briefly. The Fed's holdings still amount to 30% of the US economy. 30% held uh, um, on the Fed balance sheet, just under $8 trillion. The ECB, more than half of the Eurozone's gross domestic product, is held by the central bank. If, if, and, and, you know, if they release a lot more of that or that becomes a, a tightening, that's going to create liquidity problems potentially. Mike, lovely to see you. Uh, I'll tell you a little secret. Mike and I worked out between us. We've been around for over 70 years in the market. That's terrible, isn't it? That's terrible. And I'm only 25 as well. Uh, Mike Gallagher, thank you very much indeed. That makes him a little bit older than me. Uh, no, not really. Uh, Mike Gallagher, Director of Research at Continuum Economics. And, um, well, on a programming note, th this will be interesting because Susan Collins has persistently said, no, we're not going to start cutting yet. They may have to be tighter for longer. There may be more rate hikes in the offing as well. So we will speak exclusively to the Boston Fed President, Susan Collins. That's coming up at 4.15 Central European time. But what else is coming up, Arabile? Well, Steve, I'll add another 10 years to the market's time that you guys have had. But nonetheless, on the show, Alibaba trading at around 10% in the red in Hong Kong. Mirroring moves stateside as the company shells its cloud spin-off plans. Also, Argentina heading to the polls then for the final round in its presidential elections this weekend, with voters facing the choice of two candidates with two very different visions for the debt-ravaged country. And later this morning, we'll cross on over to Frankfurt, where ECB President Christine Lagarde will be delivering her keynote speech at the European Banking Congress. That's from 9 a.m. CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Alibaba has scrapped plans to spin off its cloud business with the Chinese tech group citing uncertainties around U.S. export controls on AI chips. The company also announced a delay in the listing of its supermarket unit, saying it wanted to evaluate the market conditions before moving forward. The stock is under pressure in Hong Kong, echoing heavy losses stateside. Emily Tan filed this report. Alibaba shares tumble in Hong Kong after the company scraps plans to spin off its cloud business. Uncertainties brought about by the U.S.'s expanded export restrictions on chips to China were to blame, with Baba saying the full spin-off may not achieve the intended effect of shareholder value enhancement. The cancellation of the listing plans caused a $20 billion wipeout in market cap, the stock sinking 9% in Hong Kong trade, tracking a similar decline in the U.S. ADRs. A fresh hippo grocery business listing 
testing has also been put on hold. That's to allow for the company to evaluate market conditions and other factors that contribute to successful transaction to enhance shareholder value. China Logistics is the only company that remains in the IPO pipeline after having already submitting an application to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange earlier. These announcements came alongside its quarterly report card where net income for the September quarter hit $3.8 billion and revenues rose 9% to $30.8 billion. Alibaba also announcing the first ever annual dividend where it will distribute $2.5 billion to shareholders. On future company strategy, Chief Executive Eddie Wu said a strategic review would be carried out to distinguish core and non-core businesses. Reporting from Hong Kong, I'm Emily Tan. U.S. President Joe Biden says he will continue working on an alternative Pacific trade pact, even after a deal on the U.S.-backed Indo-Pacific economic framework fell over amid disagreement on environmental and labor standards. Biden said that the U.S. will continue to work to facilitate trade that advances workers' rights. When asked how long a successful IPEF trade deal could take, an administration official said that most negotiations take years. However, the White House is planning to work on an accelerated timeline. Biden confirmed that IPEF leaders did sign agreements on supply chain resilience, acceleration of the clean energy transition and anti-corruption measures. The president said he regards the U.S. as a Pacific nation and will remain engaged in the region. I've said for a long time, the United States is a Pacific power. I had that brief discussion yesterday with President Xi. He asked why we so, he had asked me before, I reminded him, why we were so engaged in the Pacific. It's because we're a Pacific nation. And because of us, there's been peace and security in the region, allowing you to grow. He didn't disagree. By the way, it was a very good, straightforward meeting. We aren't going anywhere. For decades, America's enduring commitment to the region has been a springboard that's enabled growth, transformative growth, ensured the open flow of commerce, lifted millions of people out of poverty. Today, that relationship goes both ways. The United States remains vital to the future of the region. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.